Well, if you're willing and able, would you please stand as I read our scripture on which our sermon is based for Christmas Eve. It comes from Matthew chapter 2. You can follow along on the screen as I read. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went away on, and on their way. And the star that they had seen uh, when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, he took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet. Out of Egypt, I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Well, if you're new with us, uh, I'm really glad that you are here. Uh, once again, my name's Tyler, and we have been in a series uh, that we started back in August all the way through next May, looking at encounters with Jesus, these encounters that people had with Jesus throughout the Bible. And naturally that had us journeying to Bethlehem uh, to examine some of the encounters that people had with him this Christmas. And today's encounter uh, is with King Herod, who was the last of all to be invited to the manger and sadly the first to reject the good news that was for all people. I, I don't know if you have read the books or you have watched the movies of The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. Uh, it tells the story of uh, two brothers, uh, Edmund and Peter and, and two, two sisters, uh, Nancy or Susan and Lucy. And, uh, and they are magically transported into Narnia. They, they make their way accidentally through the wardrobe into Narnia. And, and Lucy is the first to stumble upon this reality, this, this new location, this magic land known as Narnia. And, and there she meets this fawn, this gentle fawn named Mr. Tumnus. And they begin to discuss about life in Narnia and how it has been oh so cold for oh so many years. And this is what Mr. Tumnus said. He said this, it is winter here or winter in Narnia and has been for ever so long, always winter, but never Christmas. Always winter, but never Christmas. Now, this reality of that kind of cold, uh, you're going to have to just think about it metaphorically because uh, winter in Orlando can be 80 degrees. Uh, there have been Christmases that are 85 degrees. Um, so you have to follow the metaphor, uh, because you won't experience in your reality. Thank, thank you, Jesus here in Florida, but maybe you find yourself this evening having winter in your soul. So as we close the year on 2020 and for that, you can say, amen. amen. 
How do we find Christmas and not just more winter? Two questions we must answer this evening. First, how do we miss it? How, how do we miss Christmas? And the second is, how do we get it? So let's look first. How do we miss Christmas? Uh, Herod is this great character, great profile in the life of someone who is always experiencing winter and never Christmas. I heard a pastor share one time about growing up. He was part of a church that would always have a Christmas pageant. And part of that Christmas pageant, all these kids would, would get dressed up in bathrobes. And there was Mary and there was Joseph and there was the shepherds and the wise men. But some, some reason, Herod was not part of that Christmas pageant. You see, for us to understand how we miss Christmas, uh, we have to come to the reality that some of the same issues that existed in Herod exist uh, in us. Now, the second I say that, there's got to be someone thinking, come on, Tyler, you can't compare me to Herod. <laughs> Look what he did. It's no secret from the history books and from the Bible that he was a very corrupt character. Uh, in fact, the rap sheet is quite long on Herod. But it's hard for us to see the reality of winter that existed in Herod actually exists in us. There's two invitations this Christmas for you and for me that we have to see in the life of Herod, these things we need to release if we want to find Christmas and not just more winter. Uh, the first has us releasing our calculating, releasing our calculating. Uh, this is what we read in verse eight as Herod orders these wise men off. He says this, uh, Herod sent them to Bethlehem. And he said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report it to me so that I too may go and worship him. Uh, we've learned through history and through even the context of this passage that Herod had no intention of going to worship the newborn king. Uh, if anything, he was doing everything he possibly could to protect his throne. There was a calculating, there was a deception uh, to the heart of Herod, how to, how to twist and to spin the information to get our desired outcomes. I have a question uh, for you this evening. Uh, when do you think children are first able to lie? When do you think children are first able to lie? But most people think it's when they first begin to speak. Uh, but there was a study done uh, by the University of Sacred Heart out of Tokyo. They found that babies who can't even talk learn to cry when they are not distressed because it fakes out their parents into giving them what they want. So the next time that cute, adorable boy or daughter, that cute baby starts crying and they ask for your attention and you grab them and you hold them, just know that calculating little liar just got you, just got you. But here's the interesting thing. Where did those little people learn to lie? Those little people learned to lie from big people. Uh, Jonathan Selman was a philosopher, psych psychiatrist, and uh, he, he, he studied this lying. He, he actually uh, realized through his studies that you and I actually lie every 10 minutes. Uh, he, 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 this is what he said, quote, people tell a considerable number of lies in everyday conversation. It was very surprising result. We didn't expect to see lying as a common part of our daily life. John Ortberg said it this way, 
Lying is found in every culture in the world. We lie about our motives. We lie about why we're late. We lie about what we really said. We cheat on our taxes, our expense accounts, our resumes. We lie to spouses, kids, and bosses. We even lie in the games we play. What did you get on that hole? Put me down for a five. I really got an eight, but that makes me feel bad. So put me down for a five. Now, you may be here and you may be saying to yourself, what do you know, Tyler? You're a pastor. You only work one day a week on Christmas Eve. You don't know what I'm going through. I'll put this delicately. Pastors have a tendency to always round up on the numbers. It doesn't matter what the numbers are. Could be church attendance, could be church budget. We always have this tendency to round up on the numbers. And the reason I know we have this tendency to round up on the numbers is because I feel the impulse in me to round up on the numbers. In the new year, uh, I'm I'm going to get together with another pastor in town. Uh, We we have a lot of free time on our hand because we only work on Sundays. (laughs) So we will get together. And they will ask me genuinely, genuinely, hey, how was Christmas Eve services? What was the turnout? How did it go? And in that moment, I will feel what Herod felt. I will feel the impulse. Hey, Tyler, how how did they go? What was the turnout? You know, it was it was dark. It was hard to see. I I don't know, maybe twelve thousand. You see, it's hard for us to imagine the resemblance of Herod in our own lives, the calculating, the deception, but these big lies of Herod did not come out of nowhere. These big lies were actually just little lies that became big lies. Those little lies that we tell ourselves and others that that's why calculating is such an appropriate word for his life. We don't want to lie too big. That'd make us feel bad. We want what someone said, a Goldilocks lie. Not too big, not too small, just right. (laughs) Friends, there is a person that you and I are becoming. There's a person that you and I are becoming. There's 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 a person that we can become by arranging our lives in such a way around this baby wrapped in swaddling cloth that's lying in a manger born to us this Christmas. Or we can arrange our lives around little lies that can become big lies. And friends, I don't want you to miss out. I don't want you to miss out on Christmas and just have more winter. So the second invitation we need to see from Herod's life that keeps us missing out on Christmas is we have to release our condemnation. We have to release our calculating and we have to release our condemnation. Listen to what Uh, Herod's response was when these magi uh, stood him up. It says this in verse uh, 16. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem. Herod has been wronged and now it becomes a full court press assault to vindicate his name, to bring judgment on anyone who stands in his way. Once again, we may be quick to separate ourselves from the life of Herod. 
But as we lean in, what we find is this is the human condition. We have a tendency to judge others and hold resentment until death. Here's one question for you, just to see the level of condemnation you may have towards others. How often when you are driving in your car, you begin to talk to the other drivers. Now, please don't misunderstand me. They can't hear you. You are in your car. It's a conversation of condemnation. You find yourself saying things like, let's go. Why aren't you moving? Put on your blinker. Where did you learn to drive like that? Things like that. There is a conversation of condemnation. And sadly, that poor soul in front of you has no idea that this conversation is going on, that you are judging them. You are vilifying them. You are condemning them with everything you got. And while that conversation is happening, guess what? The person behind you is doing the exact same thing to you. (laughs) There is a condemnation that's happening. We have this historic tendency to vilify the other, whoever the other is. We have a tendency to condemn those who don't look like us, think like us, vote like us, worship God as good Presbyterians like us. This is the life of condemnation. Now, please don't misunderstand me. It's perfectly normal for us to disagree with others, perfectly normal for us to call out wrongs and hurts and abuse. But when we allow that condemnation to take root in our soul, we will be shocked how quick we are to acknowledge the wrong in others and make excuses for ourselves. I heard a pastor share about a a, a man in his church who came to see him and uh, who had issues in his marriage and wanted to meet with the pastor. Uh, They made some time to get together. And while they were meeting, it became very apparent pretty quickly to this pastor that the issues that this man was having in his marriage were completely about his wife. Why won't she change? Why won't she get over that? Why won't she? You you get it. The pastor wisely said, well, uh, You know, marriage is about two people in the relationship and uh, your wife is not here. So let's talk about the issues that you're bringing to this marriage. And as much as this guy tried to get there to do some self-assessment, it kept coming back to his wife. Why can't she fix this? Why can't she get this figured out? The pastor pulled out a sheet of paper. He drew a circle on it. He said, this circle makes up the issues of your marriage. And because there's two parties uh, in this marriage, uh, can you draw the percentage? Can you draw on here what percentage of the issues in your marriage are yours? The man took the pen and he drew the tiniest sliver possible in that circle. The pastor said, okay, let's talk about that sliver. The man got up, he left, and he never came back. Friends, this is the story of our lives. You see, Herod thought that his condemnation would bring him peace, but it only brought more winter, more winter to his soul. His his heart only grew colder through all of this. 
when we choose to hate, when we choose to slander, to judge, to criticize, winter fills our hearts. It's always winter, but never Christmas. I love the way Corey Tim Boone puts it. She said this, forgiveness is to set a prisoner free and to realize the prisoner was you. This Christmas, who do you need to release from judgment? Corey Tim Boone said it well, our condemnation of others becomes a prison of our own making. Uh, just before we moved here this past June from Michigan, I had several friends who pulled me aside to share with me a wonderful little piece about Florida that you may know about. And if you don't know about, you are welcome tonight. My friends began to share with me about the Google sensation where on Google, you type in Florida man and your birthday. You may not have heard of this. And I encourage you not to do this right now. They are not all G rated. But these amazing, fascinating stories of things that have happened in the Sunshine State. It's incredible. And naturally, as I began to read more and more of these stories, I began to think, gosh, could there be a top 10 of Florida man stories? And sure enough, there is. And this one story I read, I found it appropriate. Florida man, Christmas 2015. A 24-year-old man in Indian River scaled the prison wall of the county jail, but got caught in the fence's razor wire. The subject was apprehended and then questioned for why he was trying to break into the prison. Most people are trying to break out of prison. This man was trying to break into the prison. Sources say he broke in because he wanted to say hi to his friends at Christmas. The sheriff's department officials estimated there was $5,000 worth of damage to the property. The suspect was held without bond, which ironically gave him plenty of time to catch up with his friends. Now, I know what some of you are trying to do right now because it's Christmas. You're trying to take the high road, but I know what you're thinking. Who would ever try to break into a prison? What, what loser tries to break into a prison? The reality is, friends, we choose a prison of our own making all the time. And COVID... COVID has only exposed the instability of our souls. It is always winter and never Christmas. The great Canadian songwriter, Leonard Cohen, if you know his song, Hallelujah, he wrote in another song called The Future, it says this. The blizzard, the blizzard of the world has crossed the threshold and it has overturned the order of the soul. So if there is a blizzard of winter bringing chaos to your soul, if there's a sense for you this evening that you find in your life, always winter, never Christmas, how do we find the freedom that you and I are desperately longing for? Uh, how do we avoid the fate of our 24-year-old friend who scaled the wall to his own prison? How do we get out of the bondage 
How do we see the light at the end of the tunnel at a very, very dark 2020? Well, our passage actually tells us, how do we find Christmas? It says this in verse 15. Out of Egypt, I called my son. This is a prophecy from the Old Testament uh, of this firstborn son of God who would come to release the captives, come to set the prisoners free. You see, the story of God's people really echoes back throughout the history to Egypt, uh, to this land that they were in, where they were in chains, where they were in bondage, where they were longing to be freed, where it was always winter and never Christmas. But one day, one day, God promised that despite however dark the circumstances were, despite the impossibility you could see through to a new life, God was going to come and set the people free. Friends, God is declaring that same reality to you and me tonight. The story of Christmas is the fulfillment of that promise that the great redeemer is being born into our world to set free those in bondage, to bring healing to those with a blizzard soul. At one point early in his ministry, Jesus Christ entered the synagogue. And as was custom, they would have someone read uh, the reading for that day, and it was handed to him. And they were meant to just read the scripture for that day. And so this is what he read from the book of Isaiah. It says this, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. As was common in the practice of this day, after the reading was done, they would roll up the scroll. They would hand it back to the religious leader and then they would give a short teaching on whatever that passage was of the day. Uh, Jesus finishes this reading. He rolls up the scroll. He, he hands it back to the religious leader. And rather than a teaching, this is all that he simply said. He says this. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus is declaring to anyone who is willing to listen that the doors of the prisons have been blown wide open for anyone looking for Christmas, for anyone wanting a fresh start, for anyone wanting a way out of the always winter, never Christmas life. Jesus declares to you this evening, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. There's nothing more for you to do. There's nothing more for you to say. Now, if you would like, you can continue to sit in the prison if that is what you choose. But the prison doors, Jesus declares, have been flung wide open. And no matter how hard it is for you to believe, despite the year you may have had, despite the circumstances you are facing, you, yes, you can walk right out of those prison doors if you'd like. The simple question for you is, do you want that? If you do, we will have to make a journey. I invite you to journey to Bethlehem. To see the one who the Magi brought their gifts. To see the one whom the angels worshiped with praise. To see the one who the shepherds glorified. To see the one who Mary and Joseph wrapped in swaddling cloth. I invite you, how unworthy you may feel, to journey to the manger 
and to the one who has been born into our world. No matter the blizzard you may find in your soul this evening, no matter the prison that confines and defines you, there is one who has been born. And he is Christmas. He is freedom. The king has come. Christ, the savior, is born. Let's pray. Our Father, we we make the journey this Christmas to see the one who sets us free. To see the one who, who has come to set all things right. To the one born in Bethlehem to redeem all that is wrong in this world. To see the light that has come. Holy Spirit, Would you instill in us hope despite the winter in our soul? Christ, the Savior, is born. It's in his name we do pray. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And where there is despair... Jesus brings his hope. Where there is darkness, Jesus brings his light. I am the light of the world. Our ushers are going to pass the light around to all of us that the light of the world has been given to us to share with not only here, but our broken world. And so we'll pass that to you and you can pass down your row in just a minute. But friends, hear the good news. Christ, the Savior, is born.